And I was certainly aware that there was a good chance that I would be fired. Mm. But the, the, the spirit of God that was in the room and what he was trying to accomplish to bring healing, freedom from shame, and, and uh, it was just, it was overwhelming. Welcome to the Wellspring Soul Care Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Gotthardt, and our desire and mission at Wellspring is to help people rediscover God's personal, generous, and abundant love, the joy-filled, flourishing life that is offered to us through Jesus in the kingdom of God. And so in this podcast, we engage in thoughtful conversations about our inner life and the care of souls, ours and others, with leaders, authors, and others. And today's guest is no exception. Today we sit down with David Kemp. David is not only an alumnus of Soul Care, but also a partner of ours in ministry these days. He's discipleship pastor at Westgate Church, a multi-campus church here in the Bay Area. And David is also an Enneagram coach. He is a coach at building teams that work. And unexpectedly, he became the author of a children's book recently, a kid's book about change that ended up being one of Oprah's favorite things last year. It's a fascinating conversation about change, about coming to follow Jesus, about what it means to live more fully in God's kingdom. I think you're going to enjoy it a lot. Here's David Kim. David Kim, thank you so much for taking time to uh, be with us today and talk to us. So, yeah. if uh, as you heard in the intro, David uh, recently wrote a book that has ended up becoming uh, this kind of amazing journey, which we'll get into that, the journey of, uh, of, of the book and the publishing of all that. But before we jump into that, let's just talk about what actually the book is about, which is your own journey, your own journey as a, as a child, right? right. And, in um, in coming to the U.S. and dealing with all that change and kind of being overwhelmed by that, is that is that accurate? Yeah. So I was born in South Korea, and uh, my dad's a pastor, mm. and he wanted to study more at the school called Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, and so we moved and we immigrated to the states when I was ten years old. And coming to uh, Boston and New York City during this time, I realized that I didn't have any tools to navigate all the changes that were ahead of me. Mm. And it was, it took, it, it was, it just hit me with like a surprise. All the language, uh, the culture, friends, city, your neighbors, I mean, you name it, everything changed. I mean, even what you wear. And so what's cool? And what do you even eat? And so I would say it was a shocking experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and did you, do you remember even when you're being told by your family, okay, we're going to move to the United States and you're going to start this whole new life in this other country. Do you remember how you felt about that? Like, were you excited to, for this even before you came? Or how did you feel about this idea of coming? Yeah, first of all, I knew I didn't have an option. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and number two, um, uh, when they asked, um, I didn't know what to expect. Because again, I've never moved mm -hmm. to a new country. Mm -hmm. So I didn't even have a clear understanding of what that invitation of David were now moving to the states and god and your father god has called us and and i'm hearing all that i just didn't have any understanding of what that meant well sure sure and you but you're moving to a, a particular even not just the u.s a particular part of it you know the new england and has its own uni uniqueness i'm sure and i'm sure even even climate i mean cold right for good parts of the year that yep. was new and um do you remember uh, it's been a while obviously but what first impressions like when you first get to the u.s and like what was those early days what was your what was your impression of this this yeah. strange new place um i hated it <laughs> i hated everything about it because mm. i remember going to first day of school and i didn't know where to sit who to mm. talk to i didn't even know how to ask if i can go to the restroom wow because i didn't know how to say that so i held it in and 
and that's embarrassing, but I didn't know what to do with it. And sure. so there was a lot of shame, a lot of frustration. Yeah. And so I would come home and I would actually lie to my parents and say, I have a stomach ache, so I, I don't think I can go to school this week. Uh -huh. And so I would lie often. I remember usually about the first year, I, I missed a quite amount of school just because I didn't want to face all that came with it. Yeah. Well, that would be so overwhelming. Now, do you have siblings? I have a brother. Yeah, okay. John. Yeah. And he's older or younger? Six years younger. So, okay, so you're in your own category here. As yeah. A, and I can't even talk to him. He's yeah, yeah. he's he's uh, four at the time, so I can't even have a, right. <laughs> a real, real conversation about what I'm going through. But you're old enough at that point, but you, I mean, you're aware of what's going on. You know that, you know, you have a lot of memory of what you came from. Right. So that you're not this blank slate at all, and you're coming into this, uh, and, and you're, and uh, do you think your parents had any idea how difficult things were for you? No. I mean, they're highly, uh, so uh, religious in the sense that they were conservative, uh, Korean-American, Presbyterian uh, pastors, leaders. Mm -hmm. And so um, their thing was, well, we obey God. We follow God. God has called us. He will provide. Mm -hmm. Things will all work out. Mm -hmm. Kind of that faith, right? Mm -hmm. And at that time, I was just like, yes, yes. But it, it just, um, yeah, we didn't know what that really meant. Right. It's just the right thing, so you just do it. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Wow. So wow. it's just like you just trust God, right? That's, yeah. And if you don't, then you don't really have much faith. And so I said, okay, this is what it means to trust God. And at that time, I didn't know what holistic faith and understanding of what it means. Yeah, I didn't have any understanding no. of that. Yeah, How so. Wow. So, I mean... You had, I mean, what was your English capacity at that point? I mean, you're, t you're 10 years old, you're, um, you know, had, did, and you're suddenly thrown into an English-speaking school? Yeah, um, and I was in ESL, English as Second Language, okay. and um, at home, I would come home and I would get dictionaries and start memorizing vocabulary after, I mean, I just, I was doing anything and everything to catch up to the 10 years I missed. Wow. I mean, I'm in um, history classes, and I they're talking about presidents, and I'm like, who are they? And we're talking about the Supreme Court and the government. I, I, I've missed everything. Yeah. And so it wasn't just catching up with that year. I was trying to catch up all the 10 years of learning. Sure. It was really hard wow. and challenging. Wow. And what was socially? I mean, because, you know, for kids, especially at that age, you know, being part of a group, being part of whatever the in- crowd or group is that's kind of everything right and so right. i mean how were you how were you treated by other kids in class well i was made fun of a mm. lot for my accent mm. and um also the food that i would bring to school mm. at that time right now i think asian food is very popular right. but you got to think early 90s i'm bringing kimchi and things that are just really foreign to people living in new york city and boston and um, Chinese food was just kind of getting a little bit of heat, but Korean food, and it, it wasn't there yet. Right. And so, yeah, they would just make fun of the smell, and they would laugh at it. They would not really sit next to me during cafeteria meal times, mm. And so it was, yeah, it was a lonely period for sure. Oh, it sounds terrible, terrible. And, and, and inside, I mean, you don't. You don't have a safe place at school where teachers, were, was there any sensitivity by like teachers or, or school of, officials, whoever, somebody, an adult figure in your life that was recognizing how hard this must be for you? Yeah, so I remember Miss Stratuli, that's her name. She was my fifth grade teacher and what she was my homeroom teacher. And I remember first day of class, she knew that I was lost. She knew that I had no idea what was going on. Mm. And on the second day, she walked in and said, class, we're going to start with a fun class activity. And she printed out just white pieces of paper. And she gave everybody two to three pages and said, identify an item in the classroom. And I would love for you to draw. And afterwards, would you write that item in English? Mm. And once that was all done, she invited me forward. And she told me to write those items in Korean so that I would be able to identify the things in the classroom for the rest of the year. Now, wow. I'm getting emotional thinking about this because she helped me translate this world in a way that made sense to mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. 
the classroom was messy for the whole year because all these random pictures and Korean words and English words were all over the classroom. She made her classroom messy so that I could feel safe and belong. Wow. And I still remember that wow. because I think that's what Jesus would have done. Yes. And that's what real community and belonging is. Wow. And yeah, 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 I remember that. And she actually, at the end of the school year, compiled all of it and put it into a binder and gifted me as a gift. And I've moved since then 25 times, and I've Marie Kondoed a lot of stuff moving across the country, but I have kept that binder. I still have it to this day. I looked at it yesterday, actually, wow. the impact that she had. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. She made it messy so you could. I love that. Wow. So you had a teacher that does yes, that. Yes, absolutely. And then, uh, but then you're surrounded by students who obviously kids are kids. Yeah, they don't get yeah, it, right? right? They yeah. don't, they're not getting it. And, and, and home wasn't necessarily a place where you could unpack all because it's like, well, we're just doing the right thing. Right. right. So this isn't like you know, how are you feeling and how can we process it? You're, so you're just kind of keeping all this this turmoil and pain inside, it sounds like. Yeah, and my parents, you know, they're immigrants, and so they're trying to figure out the world for themselves as well, right? And right. so so he was going to new school and, and, and figuring out what American life is all about. Mm. And so for me, uh, what I ended up doing was, again, that's 1994, just internet was just about to, internet and computer age was just birthing into mm. the seams. And so I think I fell into that as a way to actually, looking back, process and deal with all the turmoil and the pain that was in my heart. Yeah. But I found an outlet. I found a friend. Okay. So, because there's... The, the computer's not going to reject you, right? And, right. And you can find safe spaces, or at least it feels safe, right, online. Right. And you could turn it on at any time you want. Yeah. And um, and it gave me access to a lot of great things. But honestly, at that time, it gave me access to a lot of bad things. Mm. I didn't know at that time, but uh, a lot of online gaming, and I began to just become addicted to the gaming world. Again, mm. games are great, but I was just so Im immersed in the virtual reality because my current reality was no good mm -hmm. so got into that uh, got into online poker got into pornography got into shopping and you just name it i was just immersed in all that but i wish i knew at the time but it was all soothing mechanisms mm -hmm. to say david it's okay mm -hmm. it's okay you can make it you're just trying to cope right you're just trying to Right. This is, and this is, at least in the short term, it made you feel at least distracted or feel better. There was some sort of satisfaction, right, coming from right. it, at least short term. Yes. I, I'm just out of curiosity, I got to ask, so you're getting into like uh, um, poker and stuff. How are you funding this? How are you, how are you making that work financially? Because, I mean, you can get in a hole in that. Right. Way, right. So I... Also during that time, eBay was just coming around. Mm. And I ended up uh, figuring out ways in which, again, the earlier days of eBay, I somehow figured it out. Again, I, I by, <laughs> by my own kind of uh, um, uh, just f sheer will. And I, uh, I remember one of the days I actually sold PlayStation 1 box. I took a picture of it. I was selling it on eBay. But what I did was I was selling the PlayStation 1 box but nothing inside. <laughs> and um, they couldn't charge me for it because I was online. But the person who was buying was paying a lot of money thinking that they're buying PS1. Okay. And so I was actually into scams and, and hustling and doing all that to make money for myself so that I can treat myself and play games and poker, collect cards, uh, Pokemon, and all that stuff during those days. So you're just working the angles as I'm yeah, hearing. Yeah. And you're figuring out, and, and you're not getting in trouble per se. In, not yet. Not yes. yet. Yes. Not yet. So this is going on for a while. A or, while. Okay. And, and your parents, again, conservative... Christian, you know, family, they have no idea. No idea. And if they find out, I know what's going to happen to me. Which is? Which is, um, they will be incredibly angry. I will be disciplined and um, I will 
um, yeah, and they will be disappointed. And so I, I just knew the fallout of uh, my relationship with them would come if they find out. So I try to hide it as much as possible. Yeah. And um, just uh, maybe I'm speaking out of turn here, but as an Enneagram 3, uh -huh. um, that my shadow side is uh, deceit because I got to look uh, successful. I got to mm -hmm. look like I'm accomplishing things. And so deceit was the way of life yeah. for me to cover up all of that. And you grew up in, I mean, a uh, 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 Korean culture, I assume, is a is a, an honor and shame culture, absolutely. Right? And so, so you know, bringing any kind of potential shame um, to your family, or um, and it's and add on to that layers of as a Christian and pastor's so kid, a pastor. Yeah, there's yeah. all kinds of pressure, right? Absolutely, yeah. And so you and you're and you know, right? You're living with this dissonance inside of you. I know I'm doing this, and I know I have this over here. What's going? I mean, because your internal world's got to be in conflict a lot. Yeah, <laughs> and um, so what I did was on a weekend or every time we would go to church, and it was a large church. Um, I put on a mask. I didn't know at that time it was a mask, mm -hmm. but I had to look different, mm -hmm. act different, speak different. And so um, I lived two different worlds and people that, and most people, including myself, actually, the, the real David Kim, I don't think anybody knew, including mm -hmm. my parents, including myself. Mm -hmm. Wow. So how long does this go on in this kind of way? <laughs> Till now, right? I mean, <laughs> well, it's a it's a it's a lifelong journey well, sure. of unmasking. Sure. Uh, but for I would say the real revelation, I I think the, the the kind of the starting point of the revelation was maybe when I was twenty. Okay. So uh, ten so, plus years. So all through high school, basically, you've kind of got this sort of double life going, right? Yeah. And, and I get into college. I go to Bible college to please my dad. Mm. Um, to go into pastoral ministry, okay. but I'm at a Christian school uh, running underground poker games okay. as a resident advisor who is supposed to lead Bible studies. Okay. But I am holding online poker tournaments and, and online multiplayer games. And we are, I'm making money and I'm doing all those things. Yeah, so I lived a double life. But at church, they knew that I was a Bible studies major mm. leader. Mm. So yes, absolutely. No, but you would have said at that time the things I'm teaching or learning about God. I believe them. It wasn't like I, I you were going. This is, you know, I'm just pretending. Like you, there was a real connection to that. With, right. Yeah. I firmly believed in it, and mm -hmm. so that's why it was weird and strange. <laughs> yeah, because every time, and all of a sudden at 20, the my youth pastor had to move, and so I they ended up asking me to start preaching and, and mm. lead the ministry. Mm. So I'm preaching here and living that life, but I believed in what I was saying, but just but it wasn't consistent, it wasn't um, there was no integration, I would yeah. say. Yeah. But you know, David, what you're saying, I, I just think, you know, we can always look at someone else's story, I think, and see something that seems glaring to us. Right about their story, about their life, and you know how, and we hear that a lot. How could you? How could someone sit, get up on Sunday or whenever it is and say this and teach this and and act this way, and then they have this other part of their life? But it just seems like, as human beings, we have a a pretty high capacity to do that to to live these separated kind of existences. Right? Mm, Would you yeah. say that? I yeah. Mean, I remember probably a couple months into my preaching journey, um, I was up there and I was just going, you need grace, you need Jesus. And I'm just preaching at them, right? Like I'm preaching, I'm not even, yeah, I'm preaching at these folks who need Jesus, who need God, right? Mm. And at that moment, um, I heard a gentle whisper on stage, God saying, David, you need my grace. Mm. And actually, if people ask me when I became a Christian, I say that moment. Mm. Because I was raised in a Christian family. I did everything according to what a pastor's kid's supposed to do. Baptized, confirm, I mean, you name it, right? I won Bible memorization things and, you know, was a president of the youth group, whatever that means, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I did all of that. But I, I think the turning, the, the beginnings of that turning point of salvation was there because that's when I realized, oh no, grace, this lie, oh, the invitation, oh wait, oh, it's me. It's Jesus, you, 
You want me? Wow. <laughs> and I need you. Okay, that's wow. that was really the eye-opening experience. So you have this moment that's kind of the light goes on, so to speak, because God just reaches out to you in just a, a very personal way in the midst of this moment. And so what begins to happen from that point? Well, I would say if people were to say who, uh, David, who is the most influential preacher or pastor in your life? And I would say me because I preached and I came to Christ. <laughs> and that's a, I, you, you that's made a the greatest impact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saved myself, right? I preached now. Um, I, I would say, um, st I mean, it was, I was so, I mean, God is so uh, funny in that way mm. that, that um that he would use me <laughs> mm -hmm. that i needed to hear my own self right mm -hmm. david the things that you're saying you need to hear first mm -hmm. and i would say from that journey i would say if i'm really honest a very small like not even a step a, a, a tenth of a step into now okay what does this look like to follow genuinely follow after god mm. and um that question has uh, haunted me in a good way from then on to say, okay, well, that looks like that I need to live my life in such a way where all of my life is a life that has to be with God. So, yeah. so where should I begin? Because every part of my life was in it. Right. So I'm still in that phase, but yes, that was the first beginnings of that. And it was very painful. I'm sure. So did you, I mean, was did, did there come a point where you, said, okay, I'm going to tell, I need to tell some part of this to somebody else. Um, not yet. Not I yet. was too scared. The, I, don't, I can't speak for all the Asian American churches, but generally speaking, the Asian American culture and Asian American church that, that uh, churches that I've been, I was part of, um, because shame was so, such a mm. big thing. It was, uh, it was hard for me to really disclose. And especially if you're a leader and you're right. a pastor, you can't share that because yeah. people respect you. You're in the seat of a pastorate. Wow. And so I didn't have an outlet. Wow. That's what a double bind. Because you know, you know that freedom is in walking into the light. But, but you, how do you walk into the light when, yeah, when everything you've been trained in your whole life is don't do that? So how do you move forward? How did you begin to move forward then? My first movement forward was when I was <clears throat> many years into now youth ministry, maybe eight years into ministry, I realized that I've never had a moment where I've publicly confessed all my sin. Mm. Ever. Mm. So now I'm in at a retreat with 300 of my students, 50 of my teachers and staff and volunteers. And the Lord said, David, I think you've taken many steps and it's been really brave of you, but now it's time for you to really open yourself and begin this journey. Wow. So the Lord was gracious. He strengthened me. I was shaking. But I remember that moment um, I went up and I just said, guys, this is actually who I am. Mm. And I confessed all my sin that I have committed. Um, and it took me about 20 minutes to get through. Um, but something broke in that mm -hmm. room. Yeah. The shame was actually something that I was holding over the group. Mm. Because I didn't first begin that journey that shame, the spirit of shame was already part of my ministry because it was part of me. Mm. And mm. with that invitation, the students began to have the freedom uh, to mm. confess. Um, not because of something that I've done, but there was an acknowledgement that this is okay. So your first uh, acknowledgement of, of, if you will, coming clean is, is this very public thing. In yeah. front of your leaders, in front of students. Yeah. And, I mean, that sounds absolutely terrifying and incredibly courageous, but the response was, did you, I mean, was there, you know, uh, was there pushback? Was there like, how, how could, how could you as a leader or was I there... mean, I could have, I mean, I'm assuming gossip, 
go to the parents, right? Three, 300 kids at 600 parents of the church, elder board meeting. Okay, next week, David Kimmel, it's been nice knowing you, right? right? Yeah, take care, right? <laughs> um, that's not the kind of person that we want, right? We want a, 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 a strong biblical leader, right? Mm. So not, not a sinner like you. And those are kind of the things that was replaying in my head. Sure. And I was certainly aware that there was a good chance that I would be fired. Mm. But the, the the spirit of God that was in the room and what he was trying to accomplish to bring healing, freedom from shame. And and uh, it was just, it was overwhelming. Wow. And so the spirit of God led the way. And so I would say, no, instead of a pushback, there was a breakthrough. Mm. And um, we all experienced it together. So that that's a very uh, very big and public way to to begin that journey of coming into the light. Yes. And, uh, um, and where did it go from there? How did that move forward? Yeah. So afterwards, the Lord was stirring different things, and so I moved to this church uh, called Westgate Church mm. in Silicon Valley, and I'm on staff here. Uh, I've been here now five years, mm. and. Um, by the way, I've been just, yeah, it's been such a wonderful journey for me. Mm. But when I got here, I still had all the kind of the baggages that I've had all throughout my journey and my years. And um, part of that journey was Westgate said, David, um, we are in partnership with Wellspring. Mm. So we would love for you, uh, before you become a campus pastor for our new site, we would love for you to just go on a Wellspring year cohort. Mm. And... Um, that changed my life. Mm. What so, was it about? What was it about? Well, your journey with soul care that uh, that impacted you. That Westgate said, David, before anything else, before whatever you think, whether it's numbers or whatever you think is success, great preaching, or whatever that may be, mm. we want you to care for your own soul, David. Wow. We want you to, before God, when nobody's watching. That you're doing well. Mm. That you are meeting with God. You're spending time with God. And secondly, that you're taking care of your family. Wow. That you will not throw your family under the bus. Mm. Mm. And, mm. and I didn't know at that time, but I thought serving God was throwing everybody under the bus for the sake of the kingdom. That's right. right? right. And so I've been living that way all my life. And... I remember Steve uh, and Dana, I mean, they've been such great mentors for me and said, uh, they said this line, it's a, it's a strange line, by the way. Uh, if you're going to cheat, cheat the church. Don't cheat your family. Wow. wow. And I was like, what? <laughs> First of all, that sounds weird theologically. It's got to be weird theologically. And more and more, and, he, and I thought about it. I'm like, Oh my goodness, if you're going to cheat, you cheat the church. Don't cheat your family. Wow. Go home early. Wow. Say you worked all eight hours, mm. but go home early and take care of your wife. Mm. Spend time with your kids. And um, yeah, so my, what I value started to change through Wellspring. Yeah. Uh, what it means to be a pastor. What it means to shepherd, not the souls of the people that God has entrusted first, but to shepherd my own soul and my families souls right that god has entrusted that that god said these are the children that they're they're not yours but mm. that i want you to care for their soul mm. yes wow. lord that's my first priority god wow well first what a what a great uh, picture and an example for for westgate to to say we're not just going to give you permission but actually we expect you we want we, we that's a good part of our culture here is that you need to, to tend to your own family tend to your own soul and and that that's part of what it means to lead here and to lead from a, a well-tended soul well-tended inner life that that's such a, a great thing and i hope if you're listening to this and you're in leadership that whether you've got been given that permission explicitly by your board your team your staff whoever it is whether you've been given it there's still we still before god really have to make that choice for ourselves mm. and and i've been guilty for many years in doing that very thing like well I, I you know my family will understand or 
I, I'll squeeze in time for them. Or what ended up happening for me personally, David, was I would end up, well, I'm going to put in all the time at work and I'm going to be there for my family. And then I forgot to have a life. And then someone would say, what do you like doing? Like, I don't know. Oh, you know, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, what hobbies you have? I, you know, ministry, my kids. I mean, and that and those are fine things. They're important things. But, you know, so what's going to get squeezed? And I, I just love that image. And so... Now, at the end of Wellspring, though, and I, I, you and I were in the same cohort that yep. year, you had another pretty dramatic incident. So you're, you know, you're in the end of this nine-month cohort. Right. And, um, you know, talking about family, you're, you're, tell us about that incident. Yeah. So I'm finishing, and I thought I was done with soul care. <laughs> I'm like, I graduated, I completed, I got my certificate, doctorate, whatever, right? <laughs> I am a, uh, and, and I can care for my soul. And, and I remember just coming out of that, I was ready to serve uh, Westgate, and I was so renewed and refreshed. And I got, we were on our way to church on a Sunday afternoon where our campus, we were meeting in the uh, late evening around 5. And uh, if you know, if you're from the Bay Area, you guys know uh, 280 off of going into Lawrence Expressway. They've done a lot of work there, but it's uh, before, like many years ago, it wasn't like that. And we were still on the freeway and uh, stopped because there's just a lot of traffic going into uh, Lawrence Expressway. And, and somebody behind us was still going at 70 miles per hour. I had a three-year-old daughter, Skylar, in car seat back of me. And one-year-old, Zoe, my second daughter, and brand new parents. My mm. wife was in the car. And as parents, as we know, one of our greatest nightmare is... Uh, have somebody rear end us with our children in the back. It's yeah. it's like it's just one thing, Lord, please. That's that's the last thing. And they hit us so hard. We were on a full stop in a freeway, right? So I mean, imagine seventy miles. Mm -hmm. We ended up hitting the car in front of us. I look back. The car seats were not where they were. Wow. So the first thing was, oh, my children are gone. Mm. That was the first thing that I had to kind of quickly assess. Oh, I'm not a father anymore. And, and I had to, yeah, I had to like take a deep breath and say, okay, I can't get out because all the windows and everything was just kind of sandwiched, right? I got I looked at my wife and I said, honey, are you okay? And my wife was, thankfully, uh, she was responding. And so, okay, we got to somehow crawl out the window. So I, I, the windows are all shattered. So I crawled out through the window it was still freeway, so cars on the left side were going 70 miles per hour, but I didn't even notice. I mean, I'm an adrenaline. I was wearing Birkenstocks to church, by the way. You should not wear Birkenstocks to church. So by the time I landed, all the glass was already on my, because Birkenstocks fell off. Right. But I was on this super, you know, adrenaline rush. I couldn't get into the the the, the, car, the car seats at all. And, and um, here's the tragedy of it. Two to three cars that first stopped, um, stopped, and I said, I have kids in the back, please help me. And they took out their phone and they were video streaming me. Oh. Oh. And, um, and they laughed as oh. they were kind of taking photos. Jeez. And then the fourth car, I remember, was a, was a father. He was going to a baseball game. Mm. And he stopped saying, hey, I'm a father. He took out a baseball bat. And he started smashing the windows and the, the car doors with me. And he pulled in other cars. And there were at, at a certain point, there were six, seven of us trying to get everyone out. And by the time it was all over, we had, you know, uh, yeah, we had a lot of folks coming in and helping us. And by God's grace and mercy, um, our, our children, uh, you know, and all of us uh, took us about a year to recover. Yeah. But we did a lot of healing treatment. Yeah, I mean that was a year-long journey. You had yeah. sustained some some injuries. Your kids—they're all yep. everybody's okay. They're all okay. Yeah, I had a brain injury, so I, I had blurry vision for a year. So Westgate gave me a year off to really heal. Again, I'm very grateful, and um, I'm very grateful for that. Tell us about how how that message ends up getting translated into a children's book. That because that's an amazing journey. Yeah. So. Um, I guess the the thing that I learned from that accident, I know I just got into a little bit of the details. I was yeah. kind of almost reliving it. The, the The main thing I got out of that was as I was driving my 
children too. Now, you know, I had, we had about all four of us together, 20 different appointments a week, right? You, physical therapy, chiropractic, you name it. And the thing, the thing that made me more angry was as I was driving, I was more upset that I couldn't work at Westgate uh-huh. than going to a doctor's appointment for my children. Mm-hmm. That's when I knew that I wasn't done. Mm. that so care gave me actually now the tools mm. to begin the work of all the demons and all the lies and all the deception and all the false realities of what it looks like to be a pastor that was within me wow and so that journey while i was doing that journey i ended up preaching at westgate on just my immigrant journey and westgate gave me the space to talk about some of the bad habits that i picked up along the way again a safe space for westgate steve said david go be yourself and be honest and we will love you for who you are Mm. and i did and um and somehow the the again by god's grace that small clip of two minutes became viral and the CEO of a kid's book about a publisher saw that and said, that's a kid's book. Again, I'm preaching to adults in Silicon Valley. Right. But God is, the way God works is not the way you plan, right? You can't force God into it. And so he said, that's a kid's book about change. It's what you've gone through and how you have journeyed. And, and kids, uh, we need to write more books for parents to read to their children to process all the difficult changes in their lives Mm. and actually how they feel about it. Mm. You need to give them a safe space to talk about that. You did that at your sermon, and and we need that for parents. And that book, we started working on it in 2019, and 2020 happens, and and 2020, if there was one word for all of us, it's changed. Everything changed. Right. And so... The book came out almost at the right time, Mm. um, even for our family, as we read it together and say, how are we doing Mm. with this change, with that change? Wow. Wow. So this book, yeah, I mean, never imagined, I'm sure I'm going to be a children's book author. (laughs) This book comes out and then it comes across somehow Oprah's field of vision, I guess. Yeah. Again, I'm I'm in the Christian lane. And Oprah somehow uh, uh, hears about this and picks my book uh, for 2020's Oprah's uh, favorite uh, favorite list that I didn't even know that was a thing. And <laughs> she put it on her Amazon site, her final issue of the Oprah magazine. It was, uh, and then Good Morning America, The View, and, and CNN, and everybody else ended up covering it because once Oprah announces it, everybody else kind of, follow suit because you know she's such an influential figure in in this world and so um yeah so that's wow. been a i don't know what to say but other than just god yeah i, I i'll just follow you wherever you're taking me wow that's it is a wonderful book highly recommend that if you have kids even if you don't have kids i it was just a it's my book my kids are all grown but i have shown it to them and it's a it's great. It's a great resource, and I think just honest. It's, I just love God's journey with you and how the, his his beautiful way of taking what was once such a difficult mm. part of your life this the the dark times of mm. hiddenness and of being on the outside and and then somehow bringing that not only transforming it but using your journey to help others and help kids. I love right, that. and it, I actually ended up writing this book. It's a book that I wish I had growing up. Mm. That I wish my it's just it's not that my parents didn't care. It's not that many of our parents don't care about our children. It's that they didn't have the tools. Right. And this book is just a tool. Parents have the right heart. They want to care, but it just we didn't know how to parents didn't know how to ask, how are you doing and feeling about these changes and how can we process this together as a family? And so this book is really a bridge. Uh, for some honest conversations about how we're all doing in this season. And I would say, parents, you lead the way. Yeah. You start with how you're feeling yeah. and how you're doing. Yeah. And be honest, and it's okay. It's okay. Because that's how we begin to model. And, and, and I've noticed that in my church life, we don't really talk about how we're feeling and doing because mm. I grew up in a conservative church where... Feelings are of the devil. Mm. The truth, the Bible, the word of God. And so ignore them. 
Push it all. You know they're they're not reliable. They're un, they're not trustworthy resources, mm. and so stick to the doctrine and the orthodox theology as your guide. And certainly, I believe in the Word of God, and I believe in the Bible. I come from a Reformed uh, school, so you know Tim Keller went to my school, so I'm a big fan of Keller. And so I, I'm not saying anything against it, but I'm saying it wasn't a, a more of a robust, holistic understanding that God actually did make emotions. That's right. Too. That's right. We're, we're, we're whole beings and uh, our emotions. Yes, they, we can get in trouble if we are led solely by our feelings. Absolutely. But at the same time, as you as part of uh, what you've heard on this podcast and with other folks, paying attention to what's going on and holding it up, holding, bringing the, our, the truth of how we are feeling and how we are doing into the light and then holding up uh, God's truth to that is, is so essential. Uh, what what are some of the things you're learning in, in terms of how people actually grow and are transformed? Yes. Because that's yeah. really the, it's not just about, like you said, I think we both grew up in environments where it was about, we'll just know the right thing and believe the right thing, and then you'll eventually just do the right thing, or by an act of will, or or just, you'll just do it. And so, and yeah. if you don't do it, then we'll just keep talking at you until you just decide to do it, apparently. Yeah. So what are you learning about actual, you know, transformation and how people are really do change and grow? I would say the first thing is self-awareness. Hmm. Uh, the thing is that when I grew up, I was taught primarily that knowing God, just knowing God is where you need to put all of your eggs in the basket mm -hmm. and to, to explore yourself that's of the world, mm -hmm. to think about yourself as selfish mm -hmm. and self-centered. Actually, that's pride. Mm -hmm. And so self-exploration was off the table in my journey. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned through Wellspring and through my journey and through Westgate is that if we think that repentance is one of the core tenets of what it means to be a Jesus follower, right? That we say no to the things of the world and say yes to Jesus. How can we repent if we do not have self-awareness? Mm -hmm. If we're blinded by our own shadows and brokenness and if we deceive ourselves, then how can we even begin the journey, just the first step of what formation is, which is repentance and saying, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I this is wrong and there's a better way forward. Mm -hmm. And self-awareness has to be one of the one of the most important uh, uh, steps into repentance, onto a uh, 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 kind of exploration of then what it looks like to to form into Christ-likeness for your own journey. So, yes. Yeah. So, and again, self-awareness, not for just the sake of just knowing self, because we could get lost in that. Right, and, absolutely. But at the same time, but self-awareness, and we talk about this in Wellspring and Soul Care a lot, so that I can know God, so that I may follow God. I can't offer to God that which I don't even know of myself. And so... What is what have you found helpful in terms of you talked about the Enneagram as a tool to help uh, people know themselves a little better? Are there other resources or tools that you found that have helped people could help people to have a greater self-awareness? Yeah, so um, now uh, I'm a, a certified Enneagram coach. I've I, I've uh, I've been drinking deep <laughs> into the wells of Enneagram for many, many years. It has helped my marriage. And uh, my own journey, and what I, I I would say, what I want to lean into that is just not oh, Enneagram is a great self awareness tool. Is that um, actually what as we begin to learn about the Enneagram, that there are for each number or each Enneagram type personality type that a spiritual practice that's most suitable for you and in your journey. Mm. That's what I found most helpful because when I begin to read books on spiritual practices or sometimes we call them disciplines, mm -hmm. it's overwhelming and there's hundreds of them and they're all great and they're all in the Bible. And we, certainly we ought to all grow in all those areas. But uh, what I begin to notice is that I actually end up becoming paralyzed. Yeah. And feeling guilty about, oh, I didn't do that this week. Well, I didn't do that last month. And so in that journey, what I found most helpful is that for me as an Enneagram 3, because I love to achieve and look great on stage, solitude as a spiritual practice for me, again, growing in self-awareness, 
Now I begin to know what spiritual practices are particularly helpful for that individual. Mm. So instead of a more of a factory model of discipleship, where it's a one-size-fits-all model, uh, it's a Costco model, here is the big package, everybody wins, but that no, that every person is uniquely wired Mm -hmm. and every person has a different spiritual practice that they particularly will find the deepest amount of of, of, of finding a sense of meaning and purpose and also real uh, freedom with God. Yeah, yeah. That In that particular way, I found the, the Enneagram to be really helpful. So leaning into solitude and accountability as an Enneagram 3. Mm, that's really good. I really appreciate that that idea that it's, it's been said before by others that uh, followers of Jesus, disciples, they're not uh, mass-produced, they're, they're custom-made. You know, and that we're each unique in how we're made and and how God has wired us and our, our background, temperament, experiences, all of that. And so w- what helps each of us grow, uh, what helps each of us is going to be somewhat different. And so being willing to, to look into that. And I think also then paying attention to in each season of life, because we're, we have life has its seasons. And what in this season is Jesus inviting me to in mm. this season? Because that... We can get stuck, right? You know, I just do these things and they may be good, but there may be more that God may be inviting us to. Yes, yes. Something else that uh, struck you as as helpful and seeing how people grow and change so their self-awareness and making yourself aware of of what's going on inside of you, both emotionally and spiritually, all those things. Yeah, one of the things that has helped me a lot is a model of what formation looks like. Mm. And what I mean by that is primarily we, um, again, growing up, I was taught to come sit in a classroom and a teacher teaches mm-hmm. information uh, for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. And you take a lot of notes. It's almost like a classroom model. Yeah. And what I began to notice is that that's actually not really transformational. Mm-hmm. Um, you can gain some great, great insights. And at times that could be transformational sure i don't want to underestimate the power of god but i would say primarily the way we even form our people that i found cohorts to be one of the most helpful ways Mm. so that all of our learning experiences are primarily not teaching based in terms of come and sit and take notes Mm -hmm. it is cohort based meaning it's signed up you're committed to a season together Mm. and that you and so and then you do we ask all of our instructors to limit their teaching mm. uh, and and to give enough ample space for them to break off and really process the information together. And that the final piece of actually now doing whatever that next step is in that to put it into practice at that moment. So for example, if we're teaching on, on uh, listening prayer, normally how it's done is you would just teach the theology of listening prayer but then it would go from no five minutes of what the scripture says and then 10-15 minutes of what your prayer journey has been like and exploring that and talking with other people and then the instructor actually leading you and and modeling you on the spot and Mm. you're doing it together and kind of coaching you in that process Mm. and what we found is that wow that's a real um that kind of cohort journey has been a safe place where it's a multi multi multi-dimensional way of really approaching formation and um, I found that to be really helpful for our people absolutely yeah and that sounds so so much like Jesus to be honest I mean you know Jesus yes we have a lot of content that he gave us but uh, he when you think of how he modeled transformation in his followers it was come be with me you'll see what I do what I do as well as hear what I say and then I'm going to send you out. You're going to go do it. Then we're going to c- come back and we're going to talk about it right. we'll process it. And then you're going to do it some more. Sounds like that very same kind of thing. Well, David, as we kind of get close to wrapping our time, one of the things I love doing in these conversations is asking, you know, what is encouraging you? And, and you know, and now because of what your, your role is here, you've had opportunity to interact with uh, folks in the wider Christian community, other churches, other leaders, other folks. What And so as you look at the, not just Westgate, but the church in the Bay Area, the church in the U.S. and beyond, 
What is encouraging you these days? What are you, what's giving you hope and encouragement about what God's up to as far as you can see? I am really encouraged and I'm very grateful that the conversations around mental and emotional health mm. is becoming more and more, we got a long ways to go, but more and more important and it's becoming a focus in the life of the church. Mm. That pastors are are having workshops and offering sermon series on anxiety, depression, and we are more and more open to talking about it than ever before. Yeah. And COVID has exposed that in which, oh boy, there's a lot of these emotional and mental issues that our people, and when I say our people, it's us yes. <laughs> included, that we, we've maybe ignored or because we're just so busy with the the things of life, work, family, church, uh, uh, setting up the church experience, whatever you want to call it, uh, that that once everything has stopped, we realize that there's a lot of internal work that needs to be done. And what I'm encouraged is that now so many churches and leaders and elders and boards are coming alongside and saying this is important mm -hmm. and we want to champion that. And so... Yeah, that's encouraging. It is. It's uh, it, as you said, and depending on your background, depending on your church or family or any of those things, you know, maybe you that was not something that you felt you could do before. It wasn't okay to name struggles or to say I'm not doing okay and I don't know what to do about it and I'm stuck. Um, and so just that hopefully some destigmatizing some of that and then. Uh, not only naming, but then being able to point people towards uh, resources and community and and help. Mm. Uh, so that's wonderful. So, David, thank you so much. We're we are going to link to your uh, your book in our notes in this episode, and um, just so grateful for your leadership in not only Westgate but in in this community in the Bay Area. And um, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Richard, and thank you for your work, and thanks, Wellspring for all that you guys are doing uh, for this community. We're very, very, very grateful. Thank you for joining us for today's conversation. If you found it helpful, feel free to share this podcast with others and subscribe to it on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you found us and give us a rating. We'd really appreciate that as well. Again, if we can serve you as part of Wellspring, we are here to serve the church, both as leaders and people in whatever ways we can. So go to wellspringca.org to see what resources we have to offer and how you can be served by them. Go to our Facebook page, just search Wellspring on Facebook and you'll see lots of resources there as well. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, grace and peace.